Welcome back, guys. Last time we talked about an aspect of craft in poetry called imagery. And I want to talk really, really briefly uh, about that real quick. While we, throughout this MOOC, are going to learn things individually, we never really work, in the creative process at least, with these things exclusively. What I mean is, while we're going to spend time today talking about another aspect of craft, it doesn't mean we now forget what we talked about last time. Over the course of this MOOC, we want you to be building a sort of poetic toolbox, something that you can carry with you and you can learn which tool you need to use at which time to make sure that the poem you're writing uh, is as secure, as tight, as strong as it can be. So today's element of craft that we're going to focus on is figurative language. There's an essay that you guys have listed um, under your assignments called um, Learning About Figurative Language with a wonderful subtitle, How to Use Simile and Metaphor Like a Boss. And it's written by Rebecca Hazelton. And I suggest you read it, especially if after this video you feel like you could use not only a refresher on figurative language, but maybe some exercises, which she does include at the end as well. When we first talk about figurative language, it's important to remember that there are different types of ways we can use the words uh, that we want in a poem. We can have something that's called a literal description, which is mostly what we talked about when we were looking at imagery. But we can also give that literal description new life by focusing on something called figurative language. When we use figurative language, we are often comparing or equating two or more unlike things in order to bring, and this is important, a deeper emotional connection for the reader. And there are many types of figurative language, and again, I'm sure most of you have covered some of this in school or have come across it through other types of, of exams and, and tests and conversations you've had with friends, whatever it may be. But we're going to focus on two specific kinds of figurative language, and those are called simile and metaphor. Now, first, simile. Similes compare two unlike things using the word like or as. Really basic, simple example. Love is like a rose. Well, what does that mean? We go with the idea, love, and then we compare it to something so that maybe someone who hasn't experienced it can get an idea of what it feels like. So in this case, love, the beautiful thing, the sweet thing. The wonderful thing we all want. It is like a rose. Well, what is a rose? A rose is a flower and it smells pretty. And when they grow, they're often red and they're just so visually stunning. But what else can a rose do? It can prick you with its thorns. So love is beautiful, but it also hurts. If we said love is beautiful, but it also hurts, that is a literal description. And it's not really that interesting. And so when we move to a simile, to use figurative language, we breathe new life into what could be a tired image. So simile, comparing two unlike things, often using like or as. In fact, always using like or as. Then we move on to metaphor. Metaphors directly equate dissimilar things. And I want to repeat that last part, dissimilar things. We're going to talk about that more in a second. Here's an example. Time is a thief. There's no like or as there. We're directly equating time and thief. Is time really a thief? Is time, the idea of it, stealing something from me? Not literally, but figuratively it is. It's in some ways taking my life. 
Time is a thief is an example of a metaphor. Now, what we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to look at some poems that utilize simile and metaphor. But before we do that, I want to talk about a couple important things about both of them. First of all, it's important to remember that metaphor, because it directly relates the dissimilar things, it's a little bit riskier. You can sometimes write a metaphor that might be so good or have such a literal reading that a reader might actually not recognize that it's a metaphor. So we have to be really careful with how we present it. Now when we go to simile, it's important to acknowledge that the simile admits that it's actually not similar to the thing that it is comparing because it uses the word like or as. By me saying love is like a rose, I'm saying in that sentence, it's like, but it's not. So it's a little more clear. So if you're concerned that the reader might not get it, then it's really important for you to use figurative language and to tie it into what the reader can connect to, you might at times choose a simile. But if you really want to take a risk, sometimes a metaphor can be a little bit more effective. Now, metaphors and similes only work when they are illuminating and helping us better understand or see something. We cannot use similar comparisons because that doesn't help us see anything new. Let's look at a very quick example. There's a poem that is not included in your handout, we're not going to read the whole thing, by Norman Duby, and it's called The Funeral. I want to just call attention to the very last couple lines of that poem. In this poem, as stated in the title, the narrator, the speaker, is at a funeral. And he talks about going back to where his aunt lived. And he remembers being a kid and watching the minnows nibble at his toes and feeling the way that felt and standing in the river. And then we sort of learn, again from the title and from some of the turns in the poem, that the speaker uh, is, is recognizing that the woman has died. And then we find out he's actually at the funeral. And when he's standing at the funeral, they're laying the body to rest. And then there's a moment at the very end where he says that one of his uncles looked around and sort of in a low voice said, the cancer ate her like horse piss eats deep snow. First of all, it sounds beautiful, but it's disgusting. But let's unpack that simile. The cancer ate her. So the, the cancer really killed her. But how did it do it? Like horse piss eats deep snow. Now, maybe some of you have animals, maybe some of you don't, but if you've ever seen an animal urinate on snow or water poured on snow, the snow vanishes. A big hole comes where the water came. So what Norman Duby is trying to show there is what? That the cancer killed her, went through her body very quickly. And by saying it ate her, it feels very unpleasant, right? Now think about how that would change if we said um, the cancer ate her like a debilitating disease. Okay, like a debilitating disease. Well, actually, that's not different from cancer. So by me trying to compare it to something that it already is, I, as a reader, am not learning anything new. I'm not using what we're supposed to be connecting to when we're using similes and metaphors. I'm not taking anywhere new. Now, same thing. What if I said, uh, or Norman Duby had said, the cancer ate her like a caterpillar 
gnawing on a leaf. Does it sound as scary? Does it sound as painful? Does it sound as, as alarming? No, it doesn't. So even sometimes, once we recognize we're not comparing two similar things, we need to make sure they're different. Cancer and a caterpillar are pretty dissimilar. But the caterpillar doesn't necessarily give me the feeling that I need, which is disgusting, pain, the quickness of it. And that's why he went with horse piss eating deep snow. Now to take it further, again, horse piss is something that's disgusting. People don't often want to use those words. By using something so grotesque and out of the ordinary, especially for a poem, he's showing us, even in the beauty of the sounds, he's showing us the effectiveness of a simile. That at that moment, if we want to feel something different as a reader, we can do so if the writer, poet, gives us a simile. Okay, so there you have it. Similes and metaphors should transport the audience. They should help them feel something new and to better understand someone else's experience. We understand Norman Dewey's experience when he says, the cancer ate her like horse piss eats deep snow. When writing similes and metaphors, last thing I want you to think about is avoiding something called the cliché. We're not going to get too much into cliché and definitions. Maybe you can talk to the moderators about this on, on the discussion boards. But in general, the rule of thumb is cliché is an overused image, idea, word, or phrase. It's something that too many people already expect, so it has lost its value. When we go back to one of the examples I gave before, love is like a rose, we've heard that so many times that actually it just kind of sounds boring, right? Now I'm going to take the exact same idea. Love is beautiful, but it can hurt you. And I'm going to substitute is like a rose, and we're just going to throw something else in there. I'm going to see if it's a little more lively for you. Ready? Love is a dog from hell. Same thing, right? Love is like a rose. Love is like a dog from hell. Or to make it a metaphor, love is a rose. Love is a dog from hell. What is a dog supposed to be? Friendly, always there for you, something that can comfort you, something that you can love and that loves you back and that holds you and, and protects you in all these ways. It's this beautiful friendship. That's what love can be like. It's the feelings it can give you. But if it's a dog from hell, what might it do? It might bite your face off. It might hurt you. So by changing up a tired image, a tired idea, by adding a new simile, a new aspect to the simile, We've created a new connection. That line, by the way, love is a dog from hell, it's from a poet named Charles Bukowski. You can read his work. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. What metaphors and similes want to do, and again, this is noted in Rebecca Hazleton's essay, which again, I really encourage you guys to read. Metaphors and similes aim to always be apt, which means they should be accurate and surprising. So to be apt, they need to make sure we're not comparing similar things. We want to compare dissimilar things to make sure the connection is there. But they also want to be surprising. You don't want it to feel like it's a cliche. Okay. Finally, remember that without figurative language, we are just, as Rebecca Hazelton says, robotic outsiders. We're just writers with fewer ways to connect. When we think about imagery, we try to be that video camera. We try to specify and really focus on the colors and the details. When we allow ourselves to move towards figurative language, we can take those colors and those images and we can make them mean other things to allow a reader to have more access to our emotional space or our experience.